Father, may that be our prayer this morning, that your glory is the highest, not our own glory as we come and sing or come and sing praises, but we want to lift you up and say that you are worthy above everything else that we do. And we want to lift that up because it's true not only this morning, but we want to lift that up because it's been true all this week as we have gone through our weeks. Father, we want to have said that your glory was the highest for everything we've done, and we want to proclaim that it will be the highest this week as we go. And Father, we need you to come and heal us for us to be able to say that, to come and show yourself to us, to cure us of our sin through the blood of your Son first, and then to pour your Spirit out on us that we could do that. So I pray that that's our prayer this morning as we come, that we lift that up in praise, but that it also be our prayer as we come, that you would help us to see that your glory is the highest. Remember 
Ushers would come forward and pray for our offering. You can be seated. Father, uh, we want to thank you and lift you up now uh, during this time as we bring our tithes and offerings to you this morning. I pray that you would um, just bless it, that you would, um, as, as your generous heart has overflowed to us, may, may ours flow back to yours, and may we bless you this morning with our tithes and offerings. Father, we want to lift these up as a praise to you this morning, as well as everything else we do. So I pray over this that you would bless this offering this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we start, um, I just want to let you know my name is Kenny Ellison and I'm a sinner. Um, I introduced myself to some folks this morning uh, who are here for the first time. And I, I want them to know I'm not who I appear to be. Uh, on the outside, I can put on my church clothes. Casey can uh, attest to that. But I know who I am every morning when I, I look in the mirror. Um, I'm just a sinner that's saved by grace. And I want to thank my God and Savior for the fact that he puts a little bit of yeast in my heart as the scripture said, it works through the entire dough. And that's what I'm hoping for, is that God will complete the good work that he's began in me. But as Karen and I sing this song, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I, I've, I've practiced this song about a thousand and one times, and I have yet to get it right. So please don't listen to the singer. Uh, listen to the words. Um, this is who I am. I think this is who Karen is. Uh, but we're hoping uh, that God will change us and make us genuine followers, followers of him. Uh, that's my prayer, is that I become, yeah, not just a fan of God, but a true, genuine follower of God. Friend of sin. 
All right, good morning. Well, it's hard to follow that. That was good. I have enjoyed this morning singing with you guys praises to our Lord and Savior. And that is our prayer, um, that Jesus would open our eyes this morning as we study his word. Children, you guys are dismissed to Children's Church. So I hope you guys have a great time with Chad and Tiffany. All right. Well, we are continuing today in the book of Luke. We're going through the Gospel of Luke, and today we're in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 37. And our purpose for studying through the book of Luke is to gain a clearer picture of who Jesus is and who we are to be as people who claim to follow him. Who is Jesus and who are we to be as his followers? Today, we're going to see Jesus clash with the religious leaders of his day. I mean, it is a head-on, full-out collision. Things get heated between Jesus and the religious leaders. Things get tense. So, brace yourselves, all right? And, and some of you, um, well, let me tell you who Jesus is clashing with first. Jesus is clashing with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're, known, they're called the lawyers because they were the experts in God's law. We, we've been introduced to these people before. We've been introduced to these two groups. They, they work in tandem. The Pharisees were the, uh, those who were devoted to God's law. And the teachers were those who taught God's law. Right? And, and we've learned already from the book of Luke that these two groups were opposed to Jesus. They were opposed to God's purposes. And today's clash makes that very clear. Well, some of you might be like, I, I, thought, I thought Jesus is a religious figure. So how does Jesus clash with religion? Well, the answer is Jesus reverses religion. Okay, Jesus throws religion into reverse. Religion is all about man making himself worthy so that God approves him. And Jesus is God reaching out to men to help us. Okay, so Jesus throws religion into reverse, and that's why he clashes with religion. But then some of you have this picture of Jesus, who's all sweet and gentle and kind. You know, Jesus who, who came as a, as a precious little baby, and bless his heart, he didn't even have a proper crib. And, and then Jesus who, he's just full of kindness, and he's going about, and he's healing people of disease, and he's healing the blind, and he's healing the paralyzed, and he's feeding the poor, and he's feeding the hungry. And so you have a hard time with your picture of Jesus understanding how he could really be so offensive to these religious people. How he could say some very bold and direct things that, that step on their toes. But, but i got to ask you, if, if that's your picture of Jesus, of just this sweet, kindly person... 
why was he crucified? If you're just going around making everybody feel good about themselves, you're you're not going to get crucified. You see, Jesus came to bring clarity. And so what do you do with this Jesus who, who comes to bring peace but also calls division? What do you do with this Jesus who has some hard things to say to religious people? The general population uh, was looking to the Pharisees and the lawyers to teach them what God was like and how to live before God. And we'll see in just a bit that the Pharisees and, and lawyers, they weren't completely off about God. They, they actually had some pretty good theology, some good doctrine, but they were blinded by some desires of theirs. They were blinded so that they were actually misrepresenting God, that they were actually portraying a picture of what godliness looks like that was anything but godly. And because they were picturing this portrayal of godliness that was wrong, and the people were looking to them to say, hey, show us what God is like, show us what godliness is like, because they got it wrong, they were misleading the people. They were deceiving them. And so Jesus comes to bring correction. The Pharisees were much more concerned about their image than they were God's image. Jesus brings clarification as to who God is. He comes to shed the light on what God is really like. So this is why Jesus comes down so hard on the Pharisees and the lawyers. Because they were misleading people. They were being deceptive, and people's souls were in danger. So in today's passage, Luke chapter 11, Jesus exposes the heart motives of religion to clarify who God is and how we are to respond. All right, so Jesus is going to be unearthing the motives of these Pharisees and lawyers in order to show us who God really is, and how we are to respond. So look with me in Luke chapter 11, verse 37. This is where we pick up today's story. It says, While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. Okay, throughout Luke's gospel, we've become accustomed to seeing Jesus have meals with other people. But usually what we see is we see Jesus having meals with the outcast, with those labeled the wrong crowd. Okay? He, he had meals with troublemakers and, and tramps and thugs of his day. And the religious people, oh, it, it, it made them so mad. They're like, we can't believe you, Jesus, would actually go and eat with those people that you would be associated with those people. You see, because eating with other people was more than just about filling your stomach up with food. It tagged you with a certain label, right? Kind of like in high school. You, you, there were certain groups of people you wanted to sit with at lunch, and there were other groups of people you didn't want to sit with at lunch because who you sat with was who you were associated with. 
who you hung around gave you a certain label, a certain image. And the Pharisees wanted this image of being clean and pure and righteous and holy. But Jesus didn't seem to care about his public image. Because Jesus' identity was not derived from who he hung around. So Jesus was glad to go to the tax collector's house, who people despised, and eat with him. And then he was glad to turn around and go and eat dinner with this Pharisee among the religious elite. And so this Pharisee, their image that they cast was was this stodgy, cynical, hypocritical group. And and so it's like, who who would want to go eat with them? Who would want to go hang out with a bunch of old, dry, snobby men? But Jesus didn't mind. Jesus welcomes both the outcast and the elite. So he accepts the Pharisee's invitation, and he goes over to his house. And so there Jesus is in the Pharisee's house, and listen to verse 38. It says, The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. The Pharisee is astonished that Jesus didn't wash his hands before coming to table and eat. What's this about? Was this Pharisee, why was this Pharisee astonished, even appalled, that Jesus didn't wash his hands? Okay, this is not just about sanitation and germs. This is not your mother telling you to wash up before dinner. The reason the Pharisee was so concerned that Jesus didn't wash before dinner is because the Pharisees practiced washing before they ate as a reflection of their belief, as a reflection of their doctrine and their their effort to be clean and pure before God. See, where this practice came from was that in the Old Testament, God had given the Hebrew people, especially the priests, very strict rules ceremonial laws for how they were to cleanse themselves before they entered into the temple. And according to these rules, if during the week you came into contact with a dead animal or a dead body, or if, if you got some rash on your skin, or you had been sick, or even if you had come into contact with mildew, That made you unclean, ceremonial, unclean, and unfit to enter the temple. It means that you couldn't worship God with the community of faith. You were unclean. And so you had to go through all these rituals of cleansing and washing before you could enter. Exodus 30, 20 sets forth instructions for the priests says, when they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water, lest they die. Whoa. This is serious stuff. God had told the priests, if you don't wash with water before you come to the altar to worship, you will die. 
It's serious stuff because God is serious about his holiness. These laws, these ceremonial rituals that God prescribed for his people were to instruct the people about God's holiness or to teach the people that God is pure, God is perfect, and we are not. We are unclean and in need of being cleaned. But now listen, these laws in the Old Testament were not given to make people clean. They weren't given to make people holy and righteous. They were just given to show us that we're not. And that's where the Pharisees went wrong. The Pharisees thought that these rules, if they kept them, would make them holy, would make them acceptable before God. And so the reason that the the Pharisees came up with this tradition of washing even before they ate was because they wanted to safeguard themselves from impurities. If the priests needed to to wash so thoroughly before they came to the altar, the Pharisees were like, hey, we're going to wash all the time then so that we're right before God, so that we're clean and clear before God. We'll even wash before we eat dinner. The Pharisees were applying these rules to their everyday life. On one hand, they could be commended for that, right? They were, they were reading Scripture, and they were seeking to apply it to their everyday life. But the problem was, is they went beyond Scripture, right? They said that these traditions, these rituals that they had, were of equal status with God's laws, right? So washing before dinner became just as important to them as the priests washing before they entered the temple. So that's where they went wrong. They elevated their preferences, their practices, as God's law. God never told the people, you must wash your hands before you eat. If he had, Jesus would have washed his hands. Because Jesus says in Matthew 5, he did not come to do away with the law, but he came to fulfill it. These Pharisees, we've come to know them as people who who take their own personal preferences and they give them equal status with God's commands. And so let let me interject at this point. We all have preferences, right? Ford, Chevy, right? Who here is like Ford all the way? No one? Oh, there's a couple. All right. Do you guys even have your license yet? <laughs> yeah, okay. Hey, who here is like Chevy all the way? We must be driving a bunch of Kias and Toyotas in the parking lot. I need to go check that out. All right, well, we have our preferences. What, what about with computers? Who in here is like PC all the way? And who here is like Mac? You got to go Mac. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely of the Mac camp. And it's funny, like, there's it's like this um, cult when you buy an Apple computer. 
Like, you would think that as you walk out the store that they give you these, like, cool plastic rim glasses and, like, Tom shoes and skinny jeans. And so you're, like, you're, like, in the crowd, you know. You, like, learn this new lingo and stuff. And those of you who don't have a Mac, you don't know what I'm talking about. But go get one and, you know, you'll see. Right, we all have preferences, and there's nothing wrong with having preferences. There's nothing wrong with having a certain style of music that you jive with, unless it's country, of course, but there's nothing wrong with preferences. But when you take those preferences, your personal preferences, and you use them as the basis by which you judge other people, by which you place value on other people, you are being like the Pharisees. Okay, let me, let me say that again. There's nothing wrong with preferences, but when you take your own personal preferences and you use those preferences as the basis to place value on other people, you're being like Pharisee. So let me give you some modern day examples of Phariseeism. And I'll give you some lighthearted ones. Pet adoption. Right? You, you've seen these commercials and bumper stickers about rescuing pets and rescuing dogs, right? Well, and most of you know that my wife and I, we have two dogs. Two dogs that um, probably have more, too much influence over our lives. But we, we bought these two dogs from breeders. We bought these two dogs from people who bred them and we had to pay for them. And you would think that when talking to some people who were all about rescuing pound puppies, you would think that I was the devil for wanting a dog of a specific breed. People who are all about adopting and rescuing dogs sometimes look at those who buy dogs from breeders as disgusting and they devalue that person right okay well there's nothing wrong with where you get your dog from the bible says to take care of creation so don't beat your dog don't neglect your dog don't worship your dog but where you get your dog from that's a preference don't judge other people based upon your preference well how about food have you ever talked to someone, ever been proselytized by someone who's all into the organic, I only buy local food? Right? I mean, they can be intense. They can be very intense. Like, oh, man, you, if you're not buying organic, you're just, you're just putting diseases in your body. Well, okay. If, if that's your philosophy, if that's your preference to buy organic and to buy from local growers, that's fine. You can, you can even share your thoughts and your reasons why you do that with other people. Maybe you'll even convince other people. But don't look down upon others just because they want to have an apple that was grown in a different state and sprayed with pesticide. All right? All right, well, here, here's one that I'm guilty of. Smoking. No, I've never smoked anything. I hate smoking. Smoking is disgusting to me. It's, it's terrible for your health. Okay? It's controlling and addictive. Tobacco marketers, tobacco company marketers, they, they exploit 
the lower class and the poor, even though it's ridiculously expensive to buy a cigarette. I'm glad that, you know, I live in North Carolina and I can go into a restaurant. I don't have to worry about being around people who are smoking and choking on their smoke. But how do I see the person who lights up a cigarette? I can think smoking is disgusting and gross, but, but if I think that the person is disgusting and gross, I'm a Pharisee. If I see myself as better than them just because they do something that I don't, I'm a Pharisee. Here's one. How about the way you educate your child? Right? Some people, and most often you will find them in a Christian church on Sunday morning, some people are like, if you're not homeschooling your kids, if you're letting the government teach your kids, then, then you're not being a good parent. But then you have other parents who are like, well, if you are homeschooling your kids, then you're not being a good parent. Right? We use our preferences to value and devalue other people. And when we do that, we're being nothing more than a Pharisee. We could go on and on and talk about different examples of preferences that we use as criteria to value other people. And how many times does this happen out of a religious context? It happens all the time. All the time. Even churches of like doctrine, even Baptist churches in the same city will think less of one another based on stylistic preferences. It's sad. But what's even more sad is that oftentimes we judge other people without even talking to them. Right? Some of you right now, you think that the person beside you is less concerned about their spiritual maturity because they're not taking notes. Right? Well, have, you ever, have you even talked to them about it? Maybe they simply learn better by listening. Maybe they lent their pen to the other person. Or did you, did you see that girl texting during the sermon? Boy, if I was her mother, I would not have any of that. Well, at least she's here. It's better than when she, where she used to be. Instead of talking about people and the way they do things, go and talk them. Invite them over for lunch. Take them out. Buy them dinner. Learn who they are. And you might find that they've had a really hard road. Instead of rejecting them because they're not perfect, rejoice with them where they are making progress. Don't reject them because they're not perfect according to your standards. Rejoice with them where they're making progress. You know, it's easy to take the viewpoint that, that we're not like these Pharisees. We're not like these teachers of the law. You know, I like the fact that, that I can come here and preach in jeans and an untucked shirt. I like the fact that you can come to First Baptist Eichert and you can wear a suit and tie if you want to. Or you can wear shorts and flip-flops if you want to. I love that. 
Women don't have to wear skirts. Just come as you are. We're glad you're here. But though our outward actions might not reflect the the scrupulous legalism of the Pharisees, when we see the motivation behind their actions, we'll begin to see that there are many, many ways in which we are just like them. You know, it's humbling for me to realize who these Pharisees and lawyers were, right? Let's translate the Pharisees and these lawyers into our context today. The Pharisees would be people who had read the Bible through and through. They would be people who would have memorized more Scripture than most of us would have even read this year. The Pharisees would be devout. They would show up at church every time the doors were open, never miss a Sunday, never miss a Wednesday. When they were young, they'd be guys who would be going off to Bible college, going off to seminary to learn more about the Bible. Morally, they would be as good as it gets. They would be outstanding morally. They'd probably be the type of people that you'd want your sons to grow up to be like and the people that you want your daughters to grow up to marry. They were squeaky clean. You know, in, in Matthew's account of, of this passage, Matthew chapter 23, Jesus actually tells the people, he says, you know what, you can, you can listen to the Pharisees and the lawyers. You can listen to what they have to say. You can learn from them. Just don't do as they do. Just don't follow their example. And the lawyers, the teachers of the law, they were like the seminary professors. They were like the Bible college teachers. They were like the preachers. They were the one instructing people from God's Word. And the Pharisees and the lawyers, they believed, after all, that God was holy. And their intentions with their practices were to honor Him. Or so they thought. They thought that's what their intentions were. So, so where did they go off course? This is, this is what we've got to answer from this text. Where did these Pharisees and teachers of the law go off course? Where did they go wrong so that they deserved such this scathing rebuke from Jesus? What was going on with their desires that blinded them to what God really wanted them to do? Well, we learn from Jesus' response in verses 39 through 41. Look with me there. It says, And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who make the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean you. I love how deliberate Luke is with his words here. He could have said, and Jesus answered him, and Jesus said to him, but instead he says, the Lord said to him. 
Luke's reminding us that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Lord. And he had these Pharisees who thought that they knew God. You had these Pharisees who thought that they knew who God was and what he was like. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You guys don't know. I know what God is like because I am God. I am the Lord. And I'm here to tell you what God is like and what God really wants. So Jesus says is God wants your heart. God wants your worship, your loyalty. Give his alms those things that are within. Give yourself. In Psalm 51, 16 and 17, we read this prayer. It says, God, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer you one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. We're not going to please God by external rituals. We're not going to ex- please God by our morality or our deeds. Isaiah says that the best that we can do is nothing more than filthy rags. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, they thought their morality, their good deeds, their attention to detail was going to earn them God's approval. They were meticulous in making sure the outside was clean. But they neglected the inside. They neglected what their heart was worshiping. And Jesus uses the illustration that it's like, it's like they were washing the outside of a bowl And they were neglecting to wash the inside where the food had actually been. And after they'd washed the outside, they'd put it back up in the cabinet and say, wow, look, look how clean that bowl looks. But when you took it down and you actually looked on the inside, you saw how disgusting it really was. They were full of greed and wickedness. So here's how the Pharisees got it wrong. Here's where they steered off course. The Pharisees had this desire to impress others by what they did. They had this desire to impress others by what they did. They thought that they could even impress God by what they did. And what fueled them along was that they really did impress people. Other people really were impressed by who these Pharisees and lawyers were and what they did and how devout they looked. Right, The the feeling of that day, even among the disciples and and among the, the, the Jews, was that when heaven has its draft, the Pharisees and lawyers were definitely going in the first round. Right, They were a sure end. But Jesus said in Matthew 5.20, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religion and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Even the Pharisees don't make the cut. Even the Pharisees in their high standards don't meet the standard that God has set. So Jesus 
was not impressed by the Pharisees and lawyers. Instead of saying, wow, look at these guys. Look how devoted they are. Look how much scripture they know. Look how morally pure they are. Instead, he says, woe. Woe. He gives them warning. You are in danger. You are deceiving others and deceiving yourself. Read with me in verse 42. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Jesus shows us how meticulous these men were in their rituals. Right? God had told his people in the Old Testament to give a tenth of all that you have. And these Pharisees were so meticulous that they were even going into their spice rack. And they were measuring out a tenth of their cumin, a tenth of their dill, a tenth of their rosemary, a tenth of their allspice. And they were giving that away. And so, at first glance, it doesn't seem as though these people are greedy. Right? If they're this meticulous to go into their spice rack and take a tenth of every single spice, it doesn't seem as though they are greedy. That's it. That's exactly it. They didn't look greedy. They looked devoted. They looked holy. The reason they were so meticulous is simply because of how it made them look. They wanted to look better. They were greedy for admiration. Jesus reveals their self-interest, their selfish motivation when he says, you neglect justice and the love of God. They could have cared less about true justice for the poor or true love for one's neighbor. All that mattered to them was that they maintained this image of appearing righteous, of appearing good, holy, clean. They wanted to sit in the prominent seats in the synagogues, to have people look at them and admire them, they wanted to be well-known and have a respectable reputation. But let me pause and, and bring up a point of application here at this point. Because most of you I've gotten to know, and thankfully, you're not snobs to this level to where you walk into a room, you are expecting others to be in awe of you. Right? You're not snobs to that level. Of course, the Pharisees didn't think they were snobs to this level, though they were. But to lesser degrees, our appearance matters to us. How we appear before others matters to us. Parents, you have, you have rules for your children, right? Yeah, children need rules. 
They need boundaries. They need guardrails to safeguard them, to teach them right from wrong. They need consequences. They need punishment so that, so that they learn that there's cause and effect, that they learn responsibility and accountability. But have you ever been out in public, maybe at a restaurant eating, and, and you, you yelled at your kid, sit down, be quiet, I don't want to hear another peep out of you. If I do, you're not going to little junior's birthday party this week. Right? You just gave them commands and laws. Why? In that moment, in that instant where you issued that law, that command, was it because you were really, truly interested in their well-being? In their safety and their growth and maturity? Or were you just wanting them to sit down and be quiet because you were embarrassed by how they were making you look in front of other people? Were you really concerned about their well-being or were you more concerned about your image? We all do things out of a motivation for the image that we present to others. You can probably think back over your life and and say, man, I did some really foolish things out of a motivation to cast this image. I did some foolish things just because I wanted to look a certain way. I wanted to look cool. I wanted to look strong. I wanted to look brave. We are often driven by our desire to portray an ideal image. And this was the motivation of the Pharisees. They tithed of their spice rack. They washed their hands before every meal so that they portrayed this image of righteousness. So that they looked holy. And Jesus is rebuking them because this was deceiving. Right? They were the ones that people were looking to to see what godliness looked like, to see what God's character is like. And what they were portraying was that what you need to be, what you need to do in order for God to be pleased with you is you need to be morally right. You need to follow all these laws and all these rules. Don't cuss, don't chew, don't hang out with girls that do. Yeah, I know you guys like that. I've said that before. And Jesus told them, he says, you're like unmarked graves. According to the Old Testament law, if you came into contact with the dead or if if you walked across someone's grave, that made you ceremonially unclean. And so Jesus is saying, you're like a grave that's not even marked. So people are walking over you and they, they don't even realize it. You think that you're showing them what true godliness is like and you're leading them further and further away from God. You think you're bringing them close to God, and you're actually turning them away. Jesus was being pretty offensive here. I mean, to tell someone who's all wrapped up in their appearance, to tell someone who's all about their image, their reputation, that they're like an unmarked grave, it's pretty offensive. It's not going to give them the warm and fuzzies. But again, why? 
Why is Jesus so stern? It's because Jesus had come to expose the motivation of religion so that he could also show the way of true salvation. Let's pick back up in the story in verse 45. It says, One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, and saying these things, you insult us. Right? So, so now, Jesus has been blasting the Pharisees, and then one of these teachers comes in and says, Hey, Jesus, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're, you're saying some pretty harsh things here, and yeah, it's insulting us too. Turns it into a feelings game. Right? And, and so here we see, we see our human nature in action, because when the truth exposes our wrongs, we turn it into a game about feelings. What do you mean I'm wrong? I thought you were my friend. I thought you were on my side. I can't believe that you, you would say something like that. Some of you are so... De- I thought I was going to sing a solo there. <laughs> Some of you are so desperate to be affirmed that you can't handle being confronted. You're so set on everyone thinking well of you that you can't take correction. And I know this about you because it's true of me. I'm the same way. I resist being confronted. I resist correction. But what I want you to see, what I want you to believe in this passage is Jesus was not trying to tear these people down. Jesus was not trying to ruin them. The only thing Jesus was trying to tear down was their pride because their pride was damning them. It was grace for Jesus to shine the light of his truth and expose their hearts. It was grace to be stern with them so that they knew they needed to change. In Proverbs 27.6, it says, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. It's better to be told the truth than to be flattered. Wisdom, which the Bible says is more precious than gold or silver. Wisdom is more valuable than money. Wisdom is open to correction. Wisdom invites the counsel of others to say, hey, look into my life. Show me where I might be wrong. Bring me some clarity. So how well do you receive correction? Now, I'm not saying that, hey, let's call each other up and this Friday night and say, hey, will you come over here and, and will you just tell me everything that I've done that you think I've done wrong? Right? Being corrected, being confronted is, is never fun, but it's necessary. It, it's, it's like when you have a broken bone. Right? It needs to be set. It needs to be corrected in order to heal. 
And, and, and setting that bone is sometimes more painful in that moment than just leaving it be. But to not bring that little bit of pain, to not bring that correction, is only going to lead to more damage down the road. You know, seeing our brokenness, seeing our need to change, is ugly. Right? We don't like to see ourselves in the true light of God's perfection because it shows us how unclean we are. But there's something beautiful here. The beautiful thing is not just that we should be a people who invites correction into our life, but that we can be a people who invites correction into our life. We can invite others to expose our wrongs. We can invite God's Spirit to expose our hearts and our motives. Because we know that our ultimate status with God is not based upon the image that we portray, but it's based upon His grace. We can be a people who look at our faults, who look at our sins, who look at our mistakes, because God in His grace has covered those with the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. We become clean before God by acknowledging that we can't clean ourselves and accepting the gift of His grace which accepts us on behalf of Jesus' perfection, on behalf of who Jesus was, not who we are. Well, Jesus loves the teachers of the law enough to to not remain silent. He goes on to directly address them in much the same way he did the Pharisees. And look with me in verse 46 through 52. It says, And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses that you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered, hindered those who were entering. That's pretty offensive to tell a teacher, huh, you, you, you took away the key to knowledge. You didn't give the key, you took it away. And so here we see Jesus bringing clarity to what God is truly like. 
See, the teachers of the law, they were teaching that in order to please God, you needed to, to try to make yourself worthy enough by following all these rules, all these laws. Like all religion, they gave advice. They gave rules. If you follow these rules, God will accept you. But they didn't offer any help. Jesus says, you didn't even give so much as a finger to help people carry the burdens that you placed upon them. That's not the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ doesn't give you advice and rules. It gives you a proclamation. It proclaims that the burden of your sin, the burden of your mistakes is so heavy that you cannot carry it. But the God before whom you stand guilty came to this earth as the man Jesus Christ to carry your burden for you. The religious leaders, they weren't going to carry the burdens that they placed upon the people, but God came to carry our burden for us. When Jesus died on the cross, he was dying in our place. He was paying the penalty of our sins. So that in Christ, we may be cleansed. We may be declared not guilty. We may be given the righteousness of Jesus. At the end of the story, in Luke 53-54, it says, As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. The right response to this grace of Jesus to point out the truth, the right response would have been to repent to change, to surrender. But instead, the Pharisees and the lawyers, they become critical of Jesus. They increase their hostility against him. Instead of dealing with their wrong that Jesus had exposed, they try to find something wrong with Jesus. Right? And th- this is how we tend to fight. This is how siblings tend to fight, how spouses tend to fight, how church members tend to fight. You say something wrong about me, I'm going to say something wrong about you. You tell me I'm wrong on one thing, I'm, I'm going to find ten things to say you're wrong about. But of course, when they go to find fault with Jesus, they couldn't find any. We'll see as we continue through the book of Luke that, that they try again and again and again and again to try to find some dirt on Jesus. And they can't. Because Jesus is perfect Jesus is God. He is the light. There is no darkness in him. And so here's the question that I want to end with, that I want you to wrestle with as we move into a time of response. It is, are you willing to invite Jesus to bring some clarity into your life? Are you willing for him to come 
and to expose your faults, your wrongs, to show you where you need to change. It may be painful, it may be offensive. But what Jesus will show you is that you are far worse than you ever thought. But then he'll show you his dirty, blood-stained hands and say, but you're more loved than you ever dared to imagine. Jesus brings correction, not condemnation. He brings correction, not condemnation. Okay? Condemnation says, you messed up, you're done. It's over. You fail. Correction says, you messed up. Let me show you how and why, and let me help you to do better the next time. Jesus gives second chances. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the clarity of your word. And we thank you for your, your own spirit that teaches us your word. Father, I pray that we would be a people who we, we see our mistakes. I mean, Father, we know. We know we've failed. we failed your standards. We've even failed our own standards for how we thought we ought to live. Father God, I pray that when we see our mistakes, we will always see them against the backdrop of your grace. That we will see that you have provided a covering for us. You have provided cleansing for us. And so, Father, may we be a people who, who are not so concerned about our image, about how we look, that we fake it, but that we're people who are real and, and are concerned about Christ's image. That we would celebrate who you are and what you have done for us and that we would simply strive to, to live our life giving you worship and thanks and gratitude and, and adoration. May we live as people who admire you rather than people who seek to be admired by others. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, as Baxter and the praise team lead us in this song of response, uh, I encourage you to stand and, and sing out. If you want to come and you want to pray uh, here at the front, I invite you to do that. If you want to come and you want to ask me some questions or pray, have me pray with you, I'll be happy to do that. But I encourage you to reflect upon what you have heard, what God's Spirit has been teaching you respond appropriately.
Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to meet with you. We thank you that we can draw near to you and not receive condemnation, but receive acceptance, receive grace, receive mercy. Father, we praise you and we adore you for that. In Christ's name, amen. All right, you may be seated. We have a video to show you guys, so we'll cue that and then some more announcements. with a simple gift filled with fun packed with love sent with prayer to children around our world it carries a powerful message that God loves you and your greatest journey is still to come it's Operation Christmas Child the power of a simple gift. We know here at Operation Christmas Child that God can take the shoebox that you have filled and that He can take that box and He can use it to transform lives. For more than 18 years, Operation Christmas Child has been reaching children in over 130 countries with gift-filled shoeboxes and the gospel. When they receive a box, it is a message of the gospel because the box tells them that Jesus loves them. The opening of the box tells them of the hidden treasures that are in God's love and in the relationship that they will have with Jesus Christ. Since 1993, families, schools, churches, and businesses have been inspired to pack over 85 million shoeboxes. They need clean socks, some bouncy balls, and some toothpaste. I think it's an incredible project. It's exciting to, to get a bunch of different volunteers together to give so little and to have it mean so much. Operation Christmas Hours is like no other project. You got kids who received absolutely nothing. It's been a rough year for all of them. And this one moment in time where they can receive these toys, there's no worries. You can just see things that we take for granted every day can change a kid's life. And many children who receive a shoebox also have the opportunity to complete The Greatest Journey, a 12-lesson discipleship course. When I see lives change, when I see families come to know the Lord because of Samaritan's Post, I say, thank you, Jesus. Come and listen to the give them the opportunity to hear how much God loves them and to see the love of God expressed in a tangible way to them. I see glow in their eyes, I see joy in their spirits, and you hear expressions of, oh, I wanted this all the time. I never had this. of the Operation Christmas Child and the shoeboxes in this area because it can be more of a bigger blessing to more kids and there are more children to be reached. Thank you. Thank you. What's the best? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Just want to call your attention to a few announcements. Uh, don't forget about Team Kids uh, this evening at 6 o'clock. Uh, that'll be for children ages 2 up through the 5th grade. Uh, our Deacon of the Week will be coming before you in just a few moments. That'll be Brother Jimmy Hips. Uh, his phone numbers are listed there for you, so please call him if you have a need during the week. Also, uh, our women on mission will be having their Ladies' Day out uh, on the 22nd uh, from 12 to 7. Uh, there will be husband care provided here at the church uh, for those of you who need to drop off a husband. Um, let's see, uh, Oktoberfest is coming up October 12th through the 14th, and I know that I've gotten a blessing out of working uh, at that the past through two years, so if you would, please see uh, Ned and Cindy if you'd like to volunteer. That is just a great time, uh, not just to serve our community, but what I've gotten out of it is just being able to spend time with my church family in a place that's outside of church. Uh, to be co-laborers with them uh, and it's just a time where we can sort of let down your hair if you actually have some uh, I'm sort of losing mine but uh, I think they give you a hairnet for that just in case uh, but just a time to, to get out and fellowship someplace outside of church I, uh, also Scott uh, had let me know that today is the very last day uh, that you can uh, sign up for the Art of Marriage uh, retreat which is on October 5th and 6th uh, so if you have any questions please see him um, other than that, uh, our children's consignment sale is October 4th through the 6th, and if you'd like to sign up for that, I think I saw a table uh, back there in the back to sign up, uh, or you can see Kim Atkins. Just on a, a personal note, if you have any last-minute announcements uh, that you need to get uh, to me, uh, you can find me here uh, by 845 on Sunday mornings, uh, so please just let me know what those are. And if you have anything that you would like to have up on the screen uh, or a video for uh, our folks that are in the media team, uh, they would like to have that by the Wednesday prior to uh, the time that you would like to, uh, to have that put up. And so at this time, I'll ask Brother Jim to come forward with his announcement from the pastor search team. Okay, first thing, make a correction on a phone number for Deacon of the Week. It should be 879-9884. 879-9884. And please call if you have a need. Okay, from the pastor search team, just want to give you an update as to where we are at this point. Uh, the last time we talked with you, we got feedback on our vision statement. We've revised that in accordance with many of the things that were mentioned. So we have that behind us. We've taken our pastor survey, and from that we have developed a pastor profile that gives us an indication of approximate age, uh, marital status, education, uh, past experience, those kinds of things that we'll look at. And now we're starting the task of going through resumes. At this point, we probably have 110 or so available, and our deadline for taking in resumes from our advertisement in the biblical recorder is not until October the 13th. So we still have a number to come in. But uh, in looking at those resumes, we're dividing them into those that are high interest, mid interest, perhaps low interest for some reason. Uh, we have begun to meet twice a week now. And I mention that just simply because I want you to pray for us at those times. We'll be meeting on Tuesday nights from about 7 till 9 and on Wednesday nights from about 6.30 to 8.30. So if you would concentrate your prayer time uh, for us then, it would certainly be beneficial. And thank you for that. I know many of you are praying.
invite you to stand as we close the reading with God's word. 1 John 1, 5-7 This is the message we have heard from Jesus and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is, so, is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all of our sins. Have a great day.